Hi, I'm David Massover. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast, where I'll be interviewing senior sales leaders, sales experts, and sales service providers about what else, what it takes to drive B2B sales revenue. So thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast. I'm your host, David Massover, and today we have another great guest. Today, we are welcoming David Weiss, the Director of Enterprise Sales at Outreach. David, welcome to the podcast. David, thank you so much for having me on, man. I've been looking forward to and excited for this conversation. Oh, likewise. We're going to have fun today. So David, you have got a very long list of executive sales positions on your LinkedIn profile. You are- I jump every year, so you know that there. <laughs> okay, so that's not where I was going, but that does explain a lot. You are, among other things, you are a LinkedIn sales star for excellent content and engagement. You are the mad scientist at the Sales Rebellion. You're a member of the Revenue Collective. You've got about 36 different coaching gigs going on. <laughs> So with all of that, what is the single best piece of sales advice that you ever heard or received? Yeah, I do have a lot going on and I I think I'm a little masochistic. But anyways, the best piece of sales advice I've ever received is, is treat your sales career like an athlete would. To expand on that, an athlete practices before every game. An athlete started practicing that sport 10, 15 years before they you know, started playing in the big games. They sought out coaches throughout their lifetime, mentors throughout their lifetime. They read every piece of book. They tracked every metric that related to their swing and their stance and, and everything. They know the game inside out cold and they know every play and they're an expert at every play that their team runs, that their competitors, that they're going to go up against team runs. They know what to expect. And they're constantly working and refining their skills. And I look at sales the exact same way. If you want to be at the top of your game in sales, you got to treat it just like a professional athlete would. I love that. So using mad men is not your advice. Correct. (laughs) Okay. Just trying to be clear. I love that because I can't remember who I was talking to. I had a conversation with, slip in my mind, but he was talking about how he was doing sales with a minor league baseball team. And so he would go to their office and it was, you know, at the practice stadium and he would go in early in the morning and the guys were out there practicing and he would leave at the end of the day and the guys were out there practicing. All the salespeople were gone. You know, all the guys doing ticket sales that he was supposed to be, you know, helping were gone, but the baseball players were still out on the field taking their swings. And this was minor league. So they were working hard to get into the big leagues, but yeah, that kind of discipline, I mean, Sales is one of the few careers where if you do it well and do it better, you should be able to give yourself a raise. So why you wouldn't embrace it that way, I think that's something to think about. That's great advice. And you just hit a little bit of a nerve because in my first sales job, like first real sales job with Aramark, it was either within the first week or during the interview process, one or the other. It's it's been a while. (laughs) My boss uh, or the person who's going to be my boss says to me, David, you will never need to ask me for more money. You will never need to ask me for a raise. And, and I was like, why is that? He's like, because if you want to make more money and you, or you want to raise, just go work harder. And that, that line right there sold me on the profession because I've got a good work ethic. And I tend to pick things up pretty quickly if I work hard at them. And that to me was like, man, a profession where I can just really dig in, work, follow a process and 
I can then generate the revenue that I want for myself, my family, man, like that sold me on our, our profession right there, man. So you, you hit a nerve that, that took me back. And give yourself a raise, do something better and give yourself a raise. Yep. No doubt. Yeah, it's a great way of looking at it. So that's really great advice. What about the worst sales advice? Maybe you didn't receive it, but you've heard it. Just what, what, what's the worst piece of sales advice you've ever heard? Received it, heard it, preached it many moons ago before I knew I was wrong. That needs close. And it, it's kind of interesting. And I even saw someone on my LinkedIn post this morning saying, you know, after a certain step, you just go for the close. And it's something that they teach sellers. It's been a while since I've been through like a, a big training program, but I still feel like it's taught today. And I'm not a, a believer that you need to necessarily close. If you've done everything right in the sales process, you've done really, really good discovery. You've identified pain. You've presented a solution that fits perfectly to what the person you're talking with is trying to solve. You built a business case for change that showed a positive return on investment. By the time you go to ask for the business to close, it should sound like, hey, makes a lot of sense. It seems to solve the problem you're trying to solve and looks like it's going to have positive ROI. Um, do you agree? Where do you want to go from here? I mean, it's not hard. It's not anything. You've done, you've essentially worked collaboratively to find a solution that makes sense. And now you're just seeing if you agree. And that's the close. It's people that need to hard close to me. I feel like you may have missed something prior to that point that is driving this pressure that you now need to put on because if you've done everything right, there shouldn't be any pressure. It should just be like, man, this sounds like it makes sense. Should we move forward? So that's my perspective there. Yeah, it should just be like the next logical step. It's like, yeah, this makes sense. Right. I love it. I remember when I first started selling back a long time ago in 1991, everything I read, and I was terrible when I started, and everything I read and everything I looked at was, you got to close, you got to close. There's all these fancy closing techniques. You got to learn them. You got to know how to do them. You got to have that move. I'm not kidding you, David. I did not know what the word meant. Like I had to ask. I'm like, what? What? what do you, what, what's all this closing? I really didn't know. I learned, right? And I really didn't know. And yeah, after a little while in the industry, you realize that it feels sleazy to be a guy who's trying to hard close somebody, and it feels really great just to help somebody make a decision that makes sense. And I think as soon as you make that recognition and, and try to be that person in the relationship, sales can be not only a lot more effective but also a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. You're building mutually beneficial partnerships, honestly. And, and I would challenge anyone that's probably over there shaking their head like, David, I don't agree with you. I mean, that, that's cool. You don't need to agree with me. But think about the last time you were sold something. Think about that experience. Did the salesperson try to hard close you? And did hairs on the back of your, your neck or feelers go up? And you're like, I don't like that. I don't like how that felt. Now, you may be a salesperson. You're like, well, I see it coming and yada, yada, yada. But still, you don't think your buyers have been sold to before? Just because they're not salespeople, you don't think they feel it? If you felt it, they felt it. So why do that to them if you don't like it? They, they have the internet too, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I never bought into the whole idea that you don't have to do anything though. I always felt like it shouldn't be much, but the salesperson should still own making sure that you get over the finish line. Because sometimes, you know, prospects, they'll procrastinate or something else will come up. I, mean, I think you have to say something. I think you have to do something. I think you have to be deliberate about making sure that things keep moving forward. But if there's a whole lot to do at the very end, like you said, I think you missed something along the way. There's a difference between asking for the business, which I absolutely agree with, and closing. 
And I think there's a distinction there that we unpacked a little bit. That's a great distinction. So when I look at this long list of experience, because you know, you're, you're moving around every three months over there. When I look at this long list of experience that you have, there's a couple of words that keep coming up and they're words that they mean a lot to me because they're a big part of my work. These words are, are things like coaching and enablement and process. And I'd like to dig into those a little bit with you. And I'd like to start with process. You have been described as a process-oriented salesperson by, by mutual friends when we speak about you behind your back. Mostly good. But, can't all be good. That, <laughs> that not, can't all be good. <laughs> well, you know, let's just be honest. But, <laughs> but all of that notwithstanding, is that accurate? I mean, what, do you think of yourself as a process-oriented sales professional? Yeah, very much so. And it's probably because I suck at all the soft skills, so I got to get rid of But, um, <laughs> you know, in, 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 all, in all honesty, um, I believe that sales is both a science and an art and I embrace the science. And to me, that means understanding the whole of something, working backwards to understand all the components, breaking those components down into individual sections, and then getting very, very good at mastering each of the individual sections that then make up the whole. And that's how I look at process. And, and I know you follow my posts. We comment on each other's posts on LinkedIn. To me, I, I always try and post step-by-step guide for things because that's how I look at the world. I say, okay, if I want to do anything, what are all the steps from start to finish that I need to do to accomplish that thing? All right, let me break every single one of those steps down. And then let me dig into each one and execute each one to get to an end result. And that's how I look at the world. So that's how I've always sold. And it's, it's been really effective for me because when I do it that way, it's not overwhelming. I'm not trying to master this one big concept. I'm trying to get really good at just that thing. And then the next thing, and then the next thing. And eventually you get good at everything. It just takes time. It's frightening. I think that I have had that exact same conversation about a thousand times in my life about, you know, sales is just too big to get your arms around, but let's break it down into pieces that are manageable. I think a lot of the pushback that comes back against those kinds of concepts is this idea that, you know, oh, sales is a a very unique endeavor. Every single deal is unique. Every single person is unique. Every single endeavor is unique. How do you find a balance between those two poles? I staunchly disagree with that. Tell me about it. (laughs) Here's what I mean. Every single deal you work, in theory, could have a business case. From selling Cutco knives to people who you know, have crap knives today and, and, you know, not able to prepare their dinner fast enough to, you know, large enterprise deals like I sell today that are worth millions of dollars. Everything you do has some sort of impact on the world. And that impact can often be quantified from current to future state. So there's always a business case. There's always a financial implication. So that's one component. There's always someone that's going to make a decision. And there's always someone that's likely going to influence that decision. Heck, go buy a car. I may be the main decision maker if it's my car, my wife, if it's her car, I'm her influencer, she's mine. So there's always almost an influencer. There's always a decision process. No matter what you think, there's always going to be a decision process. There's always going to be criteria. People are always going to be looking for certain things. There's always going to be some sort of contract or legal or negotiation or something that goes on. There's always going to be pain. And there's always going to be potentially a coach or champion that someone seeks out, whether it's online, whether it's a friend, whether it's something. Someone's going to seek out some verifiable information and there's always competition. And you know, the competition in every single deal that we all have in common, status quo, doing nothing. And then you have competition, like real competition that you're going up against. What I just said there, that's MedPick. I just literally spelled out MedPick through a conversation. That's MedPick. 
So MedPick has something in common with every single deal. So every deal does have things in common. Yeah, there's unique buyers and personalities and, and problems that you're solving and all that stuff. Those are the nuances. But there is a common thread in every single opportunity. And if you get good at uncovering all those common threads, you get pretty darn good at what you're trying to do. If there's a percentage of this particular deal that fits the pattern, and you're really good at addressing things within that pattern because you've identified it, you've worked on it, you've focused on it, feels to me like you have more capacity for the things that might be unique because you've already got the stuff that's similar nailed down. Yeah, and you know where your gaps are within the deal and you can identify them and address them. You know what to do next. So maybe you already started answering this, but what do a lot of organizations get wrong when they think about process, when they try to implement process? They do a terrible job at adoption and accountability. So I've seen countless organizations try and implement MedPick and they just throw it to their sales force and expect them to use it. And I see lots of organizations try and create process, but then they don't hold themselves and their leaders accountable to the process. You want someone to follow something, hold them accountable to it, and they will. But it needs to start at the top. Everybody needs to be speaking the same language. Everybody needs to agree and follow the same process. And then you know there needs to be accountability. And it also has to work. If it doesn't work, your salespeople won't adopt it. If it doesn't work, your leaders won't hold them accountable. If it does work, but there's no accountability, no one does anything because people are just going to do what they've always done. So you got to have that proper balance of all of it where the process is built with sales, for sales, to help get the end result. Leaders are then trained on why, and then leaders are then held accountable to adopting it, and salespeople want to use it. And you do those things, you can get anybody to adopt anything. So one of the next questions I was going to ask was about the intersection between process and enablement. And I think you already started to answer that. So it's process and enablement and coaching are all things that I see a lot of companies not getting anywhere close to right. Let's just be honest about it. You know, there are the exceptions, but there's a lot of companies who are really just kind of throwing information at salespeople and kind of expecting them to run with it, just like you described. So is enablement and coaching and process, do they have to work together for each of them to work? Is that how you see the world? See, I see enablement as tools and technology. I see process as the steps you follow that tools and technology kind of layers on top of. And then I see coaching as the partial accountability, but also partially continuous improvement and partnership that leaders should have with their people. And when you do all of those things, coaching culture, right tools, technology, things sellers need to run an effective process and then accountability and and execution of the process itself. When you do all those things, you get some pretty darn good outcomes. And you're going to iterate quickly and figure out what's working, what's not, and continue to get better. It's where any, any one of those things breaks down, the output, it just isn't as strong. So any one of those things breaking down is a problem. I think the problem kind of from the other direction is when you try to have any one of those things solve a problem enablement by itself, coaching in a vacuum, process without some support and some accountability. I love the way you articulated that. That's fantastic. That's awesome. To your point, you need all three. Because if you're coaching without a process, the coaching can't be repeatable. Yes. If you're running a process and coaching, but you've got the wrong tools, look, you can be successful, but you're not going to maximize productivity and maximize outcome. You got tools and coaching, but no process. It's like, I got things. I'm busy. I got, I got a lot going on, but you're not, again, reaching ultimate productivity. You got to have this synergy between all of these things to get the, again, 
best maximization of, of any individual and any organization's potential. I love it. Now, you are relatively new at Outreach. You've been there for a couple of months. I can't imagine that anybody listening today Anyone who would bother to listen to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast doesn't know who Outreach is, but you're new there. And I think that's kind of cool. So you have experienced onboarding and enablement at a new company that is very well regarded in this respect. Can you just shed some light for us on on what that looks and feels like to you as you get started in your journey there? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and look, folks, I I just left a six-year very successful career at ADP, both as a seller and as a leader. I've been number one consistently. My teams have been number one consistently. But one of the the big gaps that I saw with an ADP was their enablement and their tech stack. And so we had great coaching. Well, I like to think I I did okay coaching. But other people besides me also coach very well at ADP. And we had process nailed. ADP, I would argue with anyone, is one of the most process-driven organizations for sales on the planet. They are nationally, worldwide regarded for process. They're amazing. But they had a gap and uh, with their, their tech stack. I noticed it. And then I saw all the things that Outreach was doing and all the things I really like to talk about. So there was so much synergy between one of the big gaps I saw within in the enterprise space, enablement, and a thing that I love to talk about every single day, which is process. So I, I joined Outreach to essentially be able to talk about what I love every single day and solve real problems that I see within enterprise organizations right now. So what has it been like, man? It has been phenomenal. The people are incredible. The technology, frankly, just works. I'm using it right now to to gain access into some very large accounts. It is helping me save time. It is helping me be more productive. It's helping me see where my gaps are within the process. It's helping me recommend, hey, do these things and these intelligent actions using artificial intelligence. I mean, it is going to make my life easier and better. And it's going to make every seller out there's lives easier and better. So yeah, it's pretty cool to have like all the things that you care about just like perfectly aligned in your day. Um, I wake up, I get excited and I just start going. It's, it's awesome. Okay. But you know, what does it sound like when you're selling this thing? I think it sounds like that. I think it might. <laughs> I, I think it just might. But I don't so, need to sell. I just talk about what I love all day. I mean, isn't that cool? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So Within an organization, who, who do you think should be responsible for sales enablement? Sales operations and finance. And of course, direct sales leadership. But where finance, the sales operations lens is, I think, a pretty obvious one. But for many of your listeners, may, some may not think finance. But finance, I mean, if you look at what outreach delivers, it delivers revenue. On average, our clients are seeing a, a 10 to 25% increase in revenue. So one of the plays I'm running like right now, in fact, um, I've been researching and doing it before we got on the call, is reaching out to CFOs and talking about the, the revenue play as it relates to it. And then getting sales and finance to work together is something I'm really considering and, and trying to put those puzzle pieces together in, in this new work. So. This has been a terrific conversation. Uh, I'm kind of coming up on the time where I like to you know, wrap up a, a podcast episode, but I do want to ask you one more question. And that question is this, if you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't? I'm going to have to edit, have your sound guy edit this one. Um, yeah. I, you know, you, I, I'm going to have to put up a little sign, you know, thinking, thinking, thinking. Yeah. This is, this is a stumper. But, uh, you know, listen, you've given us a lot of good stuff to think about. 
what's fascinating about David Weiss? What bothers you about the world of sales? What's one thing you wish you knew back then that you, that's what I'm trying to ask. What do you wish you knew back then that you know now? What's the one thing I, I should have asked you about? One thing that I wish I knew back then that I know now. I think the best answer there is, and it kind of ties in a lot of the things that we've been talking about. I wasn't always a process-driven seller. I probably just kind of, you know, winged it through a, a lot of, you know, the, at least the early stages of my sales career. And I, I've talked about this in other places, but being intentional about where you choose to work and who you choose to work for has been one of the greatest learnings. I have always flourished the most under supportive leaders that implement a coaching culture that partner with me to figure out the best possible outcomes. And it's, it's me and them against my quota. It's more servant leadership type feeling where they don't take the stance that you work for me and I'm going to tell you what to do. They take the stance of we work together and we're going to figure this out. And how can I help? So one, picking right leadership and also the right companies. The first organization I ever worked for was the wrong organization. They, they had great product, no sales training. So I learned very quickly that good sales training makes a difference. Good process makes a huge difference. And man, working for the right companies and the right people, it'll make or break your career. So those are probably some of the things I wish I, I knew more of and made more strategic decisions based on some of those factors. But hey, I know now and hopefully your, your audience can benefit from that. Well, based on the way that you're talking about your new gig, it sounds to me like you've got at least some of that figured out. It was a, it was a purposeful decision. <laughs> there we go. There we go. David, this has been terrific. It's been a great conversation. If people want to connect with you or learn more about you or enjoy some of your content, where's the best place to connect with you? LinkedIn. I mean, David Weiss Sales, David Weiss Outreach. I post on LinkedIn every single day. So if you are looking to improve process, if you're, if you're looking at mindset, I talk a lot about. Um, my wife's a psychologist. I have a degree in psychology. We run a podcast called Psych and Sales. So I'm big on mindset, helping people make that jump from salesperson to leader. That's often one of the, the things I write about. And it's also one of the big challenge points. So if anybody wants to get better process mindset or, or you know, you're a first-time leader and you're, you want to be successful with it, heck, reach out to me. I'll help you. I, I talk to anyone. I respond within 24 hours saying anybody reaches out to me. So uh, I'm happy to help. Yeah, that's fantastic. David, thank you for sharing your time and your experience with us. It's been really great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. David, tons of fun, man. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Let's do this again sometime. Heck yeah, man. You've been listening to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast with your host, me, David Massover. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you and your sales organization accelerate growth, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at davidmassover.com or find me on LinkedIn. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. And thanks for listening. Now, let's go drive some B2B sales revenue.